Good morning, everybody. It's February 26th. I'm Charlie Fink. It's This Week in XR with Ted Chilowitz, uh, Paramount Pictures Futurist, and my co-host. Good to see you this morning, Ted. Morning, Charlie. Just the two of us this morning, which is a nice change of pace. We're guestless. <laughs> yeah. Well, we thought because there, there was this was actually a pretty vibrant news week and a lot of little nuggets dropped yeah. uh, that we thought maybe we would just uh, spend a little time together and kick them around. What's, what, what's your top story this week? Well, you know, for me, because I am, uh, as, as you know, and our listeners know that, listen, uh, I am very bullish on this uh, wearable mixed reality um, trajectory, let's call it. Uh, and, and every piece of the puzzle that starts to reflect in my world, uh, I pay close attention to. So when there was this pseudo, was it leaked? Was it Samsung deciding to sort of kick this around a little more uh, of their next gen glasses prototype where they clearly keep experimenting and are trying to stay one step of the one step ahead of the curve was was pretty meaningful to me. So we could talk about that. And then I think the uh, the, the very big overt news, which I'll have an interesting take on was the 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 next step of PlayStation, uh, PlayStation Five, and, and PSVR, which you and I have been talking about for on you know for a year now, so we knew it's coming at some point. Yeah, although although we got a huge um, head fake from Jim Ryan a few months ago, who was like, no, 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 right, VR is years away. Yeah, we like it, but you know we're all about PlayStation Five, not VR. And now mm -hmm. I guess they're back to being about VR. Um, obviously, great for the industry that uh, they're improving and upgrading their hardware. Um, it is the dominant system right now. And uh, the better experience people can have in VR, uh, the better off everybody will be. Right. Uh, that, that said, the wire for me is a starter. And yeah. They did not change that. I think you and I are very much the same. The, the wire is the death call of this stuff. And we can see people that we know, you and I have these devices and our choice to playability, even with you know the Rift 5 and everything else, has migrated to wireless, and we're willing to make that give to get. To get we to give up a little bit of quality in order to get um, uh, away from the wire. Um, yeah, so it's a, a surprise that they didn't make that move, and also a surprise that they're coming out with it so soon. I really don't understand why Jim Ryan was so um, emphatic. Uh, he didn't need to be. It's an unnecessary head fake. I mean, I get it. You don't want to know what your your competitors to know what you're planning, but in this case, it it seemed like it didn't really matter. Whatever yeah. he said wasn't going to affect what Oculus was doing. Neither did Oculus affect anything they were doing. My my instinct is that they will listen to people like us and and the uproar of the community of like in this modern technology world with the ability to be able to wirelessly connect to the device. Why aren't you putting all of your energy in figuring out how to make this device super nimble, super smart, and wireless so that it still connects to your PS5 ecosystem, but you can roam around your house and be in your game room and your playroom and you don't have to be tethered to the machine. Um, I think they're going to figure it out. user experience to kind of have this tail yeah. coming out. Uh, I just think your... they'll figure it out. I, I just think that I, I actually have high confidence that they will learn eventually or a third party will learn like you know what's what's interesting is on the on the quest there's that virtual desktop app where mm -hmm. you can actually uh you know and there was a period of time we would also go to these trade shows and see these sort of uh, very sophisticated like systems that had a wireless transmitter to the headset and back and forth and they were thousands of dollars 
we were like, well, these are interesting for you know test cases, but this is never going to go mass market. And then the virtual desktop kids kind of figured out they could do a sideload quest um, and you connect it via USB-C and then you can take the USB-C off and it will actually stream it. And if you have really good bandwidth around your house and, and everything set up correctly and a really powerful computer, that's the ultimate sort of, you know, geek rig, right? And, uh, and so you can stream your high, high fidelity, high ray tracing stuff uh, into a wireless headset. I just think Sony will pick up on those cues and probably yeah. figure that out or a third party will. Yeah, the, um, it's funny because I've been using, you know, I got a, a recently got the uh, HP Reverb G2, which is sure. the best headset I've ever owned by an order of magnitude. Yeah. Um, of course, you know, having the power of a PC, you kind of get reminded like, oh, this, this is the difference between what a PC can do versus what an Android system can do. Correct. Um, but the wire is an issue. The wire diminishes that extraordinary visual experience that they went to so much trouble to provide. Correct. And I, I think what you said is exactly right. People, that tremendous sense of immersion for the convenience Charlie, you may want to, you, you broke, you broke there for about five seconds. You may want to start that sentence again and they'll go through and edit. Oh, I said that I was just repeating what you had said a few minutes ago, which is that people will give up great optics and all that PC power for the convenience of not being tethered. Absolutely. So yeah. It's a very, very big deal. And I think that uh, manufacturers, no matter how good their systems are, ignore it at their peril. Uh, I would also say that applies to HP. I guess they're, have a, a wireless add-on that you can use uh, to get rid of the wire. And if you're buying a, a Reverb G2 for your PC, obviously you probably can afford it. So, um, but the, the wireless thing is, is, is a huge deal for the development of the medium, uh, whether it's an in-home entertainment device or, or as a mobile device uh, that either can be worn uh, outside the house or at least used outside the house. Uh, the, wi the wire is deaf. So now you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that there have been some developments with the Samsung head mounted display. Yeah, yeah. AR. That wasn't in my column this week. Oh, Tell me okay. What. Yeah. So they they um they they showed um you know and a few of the press sites picked it up. They showed a a even more glasses looking form factor device and um, some potentially internally leaked uh, marketing material of someone using it and demonstrating some hand gesture stuff and. And it was, uh, you know, it was notable to me. I mean, maybe I pay extra close attention to anything on that front. Well, they've been they've been threatening to launch up a uh, AR product for the past several years. So it's yeah. interesting to know that they actually are making progress with it, and it's not just something they're um, saying to look good at the shareholders meeting. Yeah. So um, that's uh, you know, again, the more people, um, you know, Jiro, whoever around the world who are making glasses, the better off. Uh, the industry will be. Um, in some interesting M&A activity this week, mm -hmm. um, there's a company called Interplay out of Austin that just mm -hmm. raised $18 million uh, to do VR training for skilled trades like electricians and plumbers and right. HVAC. Uh, I mean, $18 million is a lot of money. It's about similar to what Tailspin uh, raised last year. Tailspin's a company that's doing soft skills training for human resources and for executives to learn how to counsel people and fire people and hire them and do all that good HR stuff. Yeah. Uh, but they're an, an interesting company led by serial entrepreneurs in the immersive space. 
Yeah, Kyle at Tailspin is a friend of mine. He and I have known each other for a long time. And I've been quite um, sort of, you know, always very strong. Kyle Jackson is the dude's name. Kyle Jackson, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's he's been in and around um, entertainment tech for some time. Yes. Uh, but uh, anyway, it sounds like there's plenty of business to go around and, and thousands and thousands of simulations that have to be created for different kinds of industries and different kinds of work. So uh, plenty of business to go around. Interplay is added. I don't know a lot about them uh, until I, uh, until this news broke this week. Well, um, training is just a really critical part of the execution of like, you know, we now use computers for everything, right? And, and you and I've talked about, this is the evolution of that visual device. So if you're gonna use computers to do all of this training anyway in a 2D world, there's a natural extension of how do you increase the benefit by bringing it into a spatial world. This is where all your training classes go into and all your thought with enterprise clients and all that and stuff. The, uh, yeah, and I mean, it's been the efficacy of training in VR versus on a 2B, 2D computer screen has been well-documented. I mean, right. you're gonna train your forklift operator and your welder and um, your, your um, technicians much more efficiently using VR. Uh, you'll do it faster, they'll retain it better. Sure. Uh, and that was proven generations ago with airline pilots, right? They would build essentially little micro theme park rides. For... They've been actually using, you know, all sorts of jury rigged uh, flight simulators yeah, since World War One, right? They'd, they'd, they'd put a guy on a board between two barrels and make some guys move the board around. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so, you know, the technology has just gotten better and better <clears throat> to the point where you know, now the probably the best mixed reality in the world experience in the world you could have is on a legit flight simulator deck for an airliner because they've got right. all the real controls. They're sitting in real seats. The deck is moving around. It's just like being in an airplane. And of course, out the windshield of the um, uh, of the simulation, you know, they're they're seeing quote unquote the the physical world. Yeah, and the screens are so high res that the, you you perceive it as real, right? And, and, you know, of course, they're flipping real buttons. They've got real controls, real yokes, real computers. So it is kind of amazing. And, of course, yes, I mean, you wouldn't think a pilot could fly a commercial airliner without having spent a considerable amount of time in one of those simulators. Correct. Yeah, it's just a, just a theme park ride extension, basically. Yeah. So, um, Wild acquired um, Iris VR's Prospect platform. So these are the two... Uh, collaboration platforms for uh, building information management as well as architecture and design coming together on one platform so that mm -hmm. life of the project on the wild doesn't end and then a new life begins when it's actually a physical building. Uh, now it's just one, um, you know. It just extends into that, right? It's just a natural extension. Also, yeah. I mean, the, you know, both of those companies were both focused on the um, architecture, uh, engineering, and construction uh, areas, but made sense for them to consolidate. And, and, and as I said, they're not exactly competitive. They're more complementary. Mm -hmm. uh, makes sense. I think, again, we're going to see, as I've been saying all year, we're going to see a lot of consolidation in this area. There aren't going to be 80 companies doing this next year, right. uh, or, or even in three years, you know, there'll be 10 maybe. Uh, and mostly differentiated by their industry focus. Uh, so here's a great example. I like the wild a lot. I know a lot of uh, designers who are using it. Uh, so multiple people can collaborate on building a uh, spatial model at the same time. Right. Um, 
Of course, big announcement from Snapchat Lens Studio. <laughs> uh, for those of you who are interested in making things in XR, which is one of the classes that I teach, uh, there are two main methods for making mobile, uh, mobile AR for an individual or, or a, you know, an, an individual artist. Um, so, uh, you know, one is Spark AR for Instagram right. and Facebook, and the other one is Snap Lens Studio. Uh, where you can make uh, snap snaps. Um, both of them are terrific. They give you lots of templates. Uh, last year, Spark AR added an asset library, so you no longer had to drag in uh, a 3D object from some other platform. You can just, you know, download it inside of the app and, and browse their asset store inside of the app. Uh, so and <clears throat> so, adding an asset store, they've added um, a lot of other technology, including body tracking. Mm -hmm. So uh, they really beefed up both both uh, Spark AR and Snapchat Lens Studio have really beefed up the tools that they've made available. And it's part of a general trend I think we're seeing in XR toward user-generated content. It's just like the internet, right? At a certain point, it became very clear on the internet that what was driving usage was content that was created by people. It's true of, of the internet today because of social media. Yeah content created by the people that we know that has uh, the most value, not content created by um, industries. So that idea that people are getting these communication tools and that they're using them at the scale that they're using them at, it's hard to imagine. You know, there, there are a million and a half snap lenses that were, you know, made by people like you and me. So, um, you know, I think there's a really, really interesting um, really interesting development in the world of user-generated content, which I also believe, by the way, is going to be a critical success factor for VR metaverses. Um, right. um, you know, if you, if you can't allow to easily make um, worlds, if you will, um, you're not going to have enough content to satisfy you know, tens and, and hopefully hundreds of millions of people that will eventually be sharing the platform. Most of what we do on our phones and on our computers is to uh, consume content that other users can make. You got, you got some construction going on there in the background or something, Charlie? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, I've got a wooden floor, a 50-pound puppy, and a five-pound bone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, and as you were... Um, as you were discussing that, like there's a um, there's a part of my world that starts to look at these very young um, developing companies that are starting to take what the the big boys this in this case Snap and and Facebook Instagram have been doing with this digital overlay and this uh, like we like to refer to it as this sort of YouTube effect the UGC effect on more sophisticated production techniques and production use cases. Um, so there's a couple like there, there's a company called XR Studios that's the one behind a lot of the the big MTV and um, the 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 sort of mixed reality stuff that appears in concerts and stages and big events, um, and that's an interesting company to look at. And there's also a teeny little company that I'm an advisor to called Beam, which is doing a UGC approach okay. to um, yeah. Beam is is that robots? No, no, this is a different company, not Beam, not that Beam. Uh, this is a, a company out of South Africa, just a couple of guys that are getting started with a, a UGC approach to um, 
bringing in assets and working them and sort of develop them, developing them uh, in the way that sheds the like all the professional needs of a big VFX studio to take a UGC approach to building that kind of blended world content way beyond just a snap lens or an Instagram, a spark kind of thing. It's a really interesting little thing. And there's a few others that I'm involved in like that, that are like, I, I tend to look at stuff that are really, really early stage that are going to find an interesting sort of path forward. So, um, so how do they accomplish that? So you can, you can look them up. I was just pulling to make sure I got the, the, the web, the, the back part of their website. It's not .com. It's .co, C-O, B-E-A-M-M dot C-O. Uh, and they're a, a coming soon sort of company. Uh, and they have an uh, essentially like an asset store, a CG 3D asset store, and everything is appified. So it's almost like, think about uh, the, the investment and stock market environment, and then comes along Robinhood and sort of turns the whole thing on its head and allows a youth culture to start to gamify and appify and modernize what their parents and their grandparents did and it becomes a huge success. This is akin to that, aligned to that. Like the idea of removing all those barriers to entry of learning, you know, like Maya and, and Nuke and Houdini right. and all this compositing stuff and sort of bring it into, the best way I can describe it is bring it into a Robin Hood style environment, except it's not investing, it's VFX and content. Um, and it's like super early, but it's really interesting. So the fact that we can track both sides of this equation, you know, like the, 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 the tech giants approach to stuff. And then these small little startups that are bubbling up that ultimately will make a difference and potentially be acquired by those tech giants to sort of start the ball really rolling. And this little company is just one of them that you mentioned it. And I thought it'd be interesting to mention it to people. So, um, Speaking of the stock market, we took uh, tech stocks took quite a beating this week yeah. after breaking records in January. So, just in case, like me, you were feeling like a genius in January, you are not. <laughs> well, it just depends on your horizon, right? These things, you wouldn't be on a podcast. You'd be on your yacht floating off of uh, in the Mediterranean. Yeah, um, they are impossible to time. Um, but I continue to believe that we are in the middle of a dramatic transition from atoms to bits and that, you know, things that uh, are in the real have descending value, things that are digital have an increasing value. Uh, and I don't think there's any way to change that. I don't think there could possibly be anybody listening to this podcast who has any doubt that Google and Amazon are going to be way more valuable 10 years from now than they are today. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's buying, that thesis, which buying is- Buying Google is like buying gold right now. Yeah, which, well, and, and, and here's the slightly contrarian thesis, right? Is while a big part of my head and your head and everyone's head believes that, you also have to know that there are companies that felt like completely defensible and will always live forever that do no, no longer exist today. Sun Microsystems would be a good example of that. SGI as a, as a it, it still exists in a weird sort of way, but it's not the, the, the powerhouse. Yeah, we right? would have never said of SGI in the 90s that we would be positive in 10 years it would be bigger. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I think we, we would certainly look at a lot of companies that don't exist today, Compact and, you know, and, and, and uh, Gateway yeah, and a lot of- Do really look at Compact the way we look at Apple? No. No. But I, I just I, I'm just making the point that um, 
it's it's always a little bit of concern to be so overconfident that there's not a new one around the corner that is you know which is which is why facebook keeps snapping up companies like whatsapp and you know because and instagram obviously go public today because if you've got something really good somebody will make you an offer you can't refuse right right i just i just think first of all you know from an investment standpoint knowing your horizon you know especially if you're a kid listening to this and you're investing and you're watching the gyrations of the market knowing that what you're really betting on is just you know keep at it for 30 years trade the way you like play your thesis is out but know that like you shouldn't be trying to work with money you need tomorrow if you're an investor right you should be working with money you need in the long term time the market people would try it's an industry trying is an industry but you really have to take a long view and not yeah. freak out when your Google shares go up five or 10 or even 20% because it's all going to get smoothed out over time. Yeah. You, know, you could have a bad month. You could have a bad year. You could have a great month and a great year. It's all going to get smoothed out over time. One unshakable fact like gravity is that Google is going to be a lot bigger in 10 years. And by the way, as a Google shareholder, break them up. I think mm-hmm. that would create much more value for me personally, financially, kick out YouTube, kick out Instagram, let them go compete with each other. Right. And, you know, people, I remember in the 80s, okay, I was only in my 20s then, but I, I remember in the 80s, everyone was freaked out about the breakup of at and It's the end of American right. industry, right? It's, it's the government crushing the soul of private industry. Had that not happened, I'm not sure the internet would have followed its trajectory. Right. I think that, you know, breaking up AT&T changed the world and the world could use some little extra change right now. Yeah. And, and I don't disagree with anything that you're saying. And I'm clearly, as you know, I'm, you know, I'm heavily invested in lots of tech stock and I'm invested in cyber and I, I believe in the future of these, these companies, but in my heart of hearts, maybe is what I'm, what I'm sort of um, uh, trying to express is that I also believe that, that there is a wave of change that no one has really discovered yet. Like that there is a next Amazon and there is a next Google and it's likely going to be exponentially bigger than both of them. And you kind of think, well, how is that even possible? That's what but, I'm thinking this moment, if, right? <laughs> but if I reflect backward at companies that used to be gigantic, and are no longer gigantic, right? And are just a footnote in history. It happens over and over and over again. IBM in the 80s, everybody was IBM is a perfect example. Apple ever gonna go up against And maybe, you know, maybe Intel might be a modern example on the cusp, right? It's like, Intel is still extraordinarily powerful. They still power the universe for for all intents and purposes, but the market is a little shaky on them right now, right? So it's interesting. The the truth is that the secret sauce that they had has now been spread all over the world. So it's very hard for them to defend their position without dramatic innovation. And we see that's coming from other companies uh, like NVIDIA and Qualcomm and not so much from Intel, which was very much anchored in the PC and laptop world mm-hmm. and really and that world is changing right yeah yeah, yeah. it's really not a it was not a a mobile first company so i guess for, for someone who makes their career uh with this sort of diplomatic disruption of change i'm always uh, i'm a never say never guy and yeah. the bigger a company feels like it's completely impossible for it to be smaller than it is today i always kind of question that logic a little well bit. you know i mean again it's a, we're in the fun business because we get to, to walk around looking for people to surprise us correct exactly <laughs> that's what i do every day <laughs> uh, it's great to be us um i think that's what we got today anything we left yeah. Ted? 
Um, no, I think, I mean, I think that's a good, that's a good coverage of stuff. I think, you know, I was, I was on um, this morning before we started, I, I, I hop on a, a site called Patently Apple, oh, yeah. um, which I don't know if uh, some of our listeners yeah. up on that. Um, it, I would say that's a, if, if you're interested in the trajectory of future devices and, and what Apple does right, which is really figure out all of the, let's call it, you know, the intimate nuts and bolts of making something very usable. And then every other company in the world learns from that. Um, the, the, and there are plenty of other uh, patent sites, but the one I just hop on is Patently Apple because it's a nice little graphical interface. Um, just check it every two, three weeks and you kind of be like, oh, wow, they're, they're really picking up some interesting companies. And there's a lot around gesture right now. There's a lot around their patents around like, and we, we keep referring to it because it's from my world in the Paramount Viacom world, the minority report effect, right? In some fashion where you are no longer monkeying around with this device for the your past. Or your mouse. You are basically doing this or you're using, you know, some sort of wearable or something connected your to Your hands are your mouse. The world is your screen. Right. Anywhere. Correct. A little like being inside of VR. Yeah. So just, you know, check out that, check out any sort of patent site that you like to, you know, if you're really super sort of, you know, nerdy, there's way more technical ones, but this one gives you a nice like overview of what they're up to. Um, and you can start to put the puzzle together pretty well by tracking that stuff. It, it's funny. Somebody asked me in an interview yesterday, what do you predict for the next three years in AR? And my answer was, well, I expect Apple to play their hand, but I have no idea beyond that what that's going to mean in the market. Does that mm -hmm. mean everybody has to pivot to deal with it? Or does it mean Apple has its approach and uh, Facebook has its approach and they're going to compete um, as ideas? So Yeah, I, I was thinking... I was just thinking this week about that moment when Steve launched the iPhone and he talked about, he made fun of the stylus for a good period of time. And he's like, why would I want a stylus? I've got a stylus. It's my <laughs> Now, of course, ultimately later on, Apple did release a pen and they found some use for the pen and, you know, and it's all fine or the Apple pencil. But ultimately what he was sort of saying is that the future is natural hand, mind, eye interface. Right. And he was a very early telling sign with that device of like, and he, of course, he did it in his patented way of getting the crowd all riled up. And I was there in the audience and I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Um, and, and it still holds today, right? Just the way that we understand the world and how we do things. It was a very telling sign of the future. And now, again, just look at the kind of companies Apple's acquiring, the patents that they're sort of implementing in various ways. And it is really all about why do we need a stylus? It's, it's all about the hands and the fingers and the eyes, right? So you can start to put, the, you can start to put your understanding together of what might be happening uh, if you pay attention to this stuff. Oh boy, we could start this conversation about Apple and go on for hours and a <laughs> half. As, as I live in my and Apple stuff all around here. Well, that's our half hour of your time. Thanks everybody for listening and we will see you next week for our discussion of the week's XR News. Have a great week. Thanks everybody.